Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. An NBA guest to be rolled out here. The 76ers had a chance to close out the Raptors yesterday and sweep them away in the first round of the playoffs. Didn't happen. Toronto defended their home court and sent the series back to Philly, trailing 3-1, but there will be a Game 5. We'll talk about how we've gotten to where we've gotten, Then, is there any chance the Raptors make this even more competitive coming back to Philadelphia? Uh, he covers the Sixers on a day-in, day-out basis. For his newsletter, The Daily Six, Mr. Derek Bodner joins me here on CBS Sports Radio. How you be, DB? Doing well, Jody. Good to hear. Um, Sixers, I thought, were primed to uh, sweep out the Toronto Raptors yesterday. I thought Toronto had thrown all the punches they had and hadn't been able to come away with a win. And the uh, the previous game, uh, disheartening in that you had the lead to out and Embiid makes the big shot that he makes late to uh, grasp victory from the jaws of defeat. Um, what did Toronto do yesterday that allowed them to get the better of the Sixers? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it came down to the Sixers. You know, I think their energy level was just not all that high. Uh, you know, they got beat on the glass for the second game in a row. They gave up a lot of bad turnovers. They didn't get back well in transition. They didn't really attack the basket. All that led to Toronto shooting a lot more free throws. I think a lot of it did come down to the Sixers, and I think they had a little bit of a letdown game uh, coming up with a 3-0 lead. You know, I think Toronto played with more desperation, and I think Joel Embiid just didn't look like himself, and obviously that plays into more of the thumb injury Um but I think a lot of it does come down to the Sixers. And I give Toronto credit because they came out and they certainly had the energy and the effort level that they needed in a closeout game. You know, But I don't think there was anything that Toronto did in terms of scheme or where they were sending double teams from or timing of it that really was different than what they were doing earlier in the season. I think the Sixers had a pretty massive letdown game. And I expected a little bit of that from Joel Embiid. And I think some of the turnovers, you could probably uh, you know, relate to the thumb injury a little bit. But they got a, you know, a passive version of Tyrese Maxey. They got James Harden, who was playing a little too much isolation game. They just did not get outside of probably Tobias Harris. They didn't have a real good performance from any of their key players. And when that happens and you lose a turnover battle and you lose a rebounding battle, you're going to drop a game, even if you are the more talented team. And I think that's what happened. Let's start with Embiid, the thumb injury. Um, yeah, he just didn't seem like himself yesterday. Let down or the injury affecting him. We expect them to be more motivated in front of their home crowd coming home for game number five. But is Embiid's injury something that will be getting better? Are they risking by playing him? Is this something that uh, time off would heal? Where is his thumb at and how is it going to play going forward? 
Yeah, I don't think it's anything that's going to get better until he's able to have surgery, but I also don't think it's going to get significantly worse while playing through it. I think it's mostly going to come down to two things. You know, that's a combination of pain tolerance, but also how it impacts his grip on the basketball. You know, I think we saw both of those factor in the other night there. You know, I think part of the rebounding edge that Toronto had, and B just wasn't as dominant on the glass as he normally was. I don't think he had an offensive rebound the entire game. Only ended up with eight rebounds on the night, the first time he's been in single digits in, I think, over a month. I think part of that was I think he knows going inside, he's, his hand's going to get hit, and, and there's a little bit of a um, you know hesitancy that maybe isn't always there. And then there's also gripping the basketball, and I think the injury affects that a little bit as well. Uh, you saw that. I think he only attempted one three. I think you saw that with some of the passes, and that's not really necessarily maybe even a pain threshold thing. It's just a this doesn't feel like it normally does. I can't get the grip that I normally do. I think that's something he's going to have to learn how to play through. Uh, until he's able to have the surgery that I think he's going to end up needing to correct it. Um, so I think it's something where he's going to play through it. I don't think it's probably going to get significant. I don't think it's probably going to get significantly worse. Um, but I also don't expect it to get better here until he is able to eventually get the surgery he needs. One thing you mentioned: desperation. Toronto played with it, and there was one particular player who stuck out for me, and that was Pascal Siakam. And coming into the series, when I predicted the 76ers in seven, because I thought it was going to be a very good and tough and competitive series, it was because I didn't really know who the Sixers were going to match up with Pascal Siakam. Truth be told, I don't think they have an individual player that does match up well with him. Embiid takes him from time to time. Harris gives up too many inches for me. Um, yes, I think Dybul might be their uh, best guy to take a shot on him. He gives up plenty of inches, but that wasn't even an option with the games in Toronto. Uh, what can they do to keep Pascal Siakam from having another game like the one he had in game four? Yeah, and you're right. He played a lot more aggressive than he has earlier in the season, uh, and I think that's a huge key for Toronto, you know, they, he, they generate a lot of open threes based off of, his, off of him getting in the paint, getting in the middle lane, and, and kicking it out there to their shooters. They don't really have that many sets they can go to, especially with Fred Van Vliet, so obviously limited by both the knee and the hip. They need him to be playing at that level to have even a chance. And I think a big key was not only was getting in the middle and getting those driving kick opportunities, but he got the free throw line, I think, 15 times. That was key. I think part of that, you know, Tobias Harris, through the first three games, did a, an incredible job on Pascal. He's really been their primary defender on him. Joel Embiid has been their secondary defender. But Tobias Harris has taken upon himself and did a real good job there in the first three games. I don't think his energy level was perfect there on the defensive side of the court as well. And he does give up some size to him and some physicality to him, to Pascal. Um, but he just he was not as effective. He was not as engaged and locked in as he was earlier in the season. They need the best version of Tobias defensively that they can get because he's really the only one. You start going through the six other defenders, you know, Matisse Seibel, if, if you're concerned about Tobias Harris not having the size of physicality for Siakam, Matisse Seibel certainly doesn't, and he obviously wasn't up there with them in Toronto. And neither does Danny Green. So they need, they need you know, Tobias Harris to play a little better than they did. Um, but they also need to be crisper in their rotations. And I just felt like all night they were – um, slow on their closeouts, slow on their rotations, slow on, on the defensive glass. Uh, they just need to execute better and sharper. I really don't think there's a whole lot schematically they have to fix. They just can't play as lackadaisical as they did, for lack of a better word. Let me ask you about uh, Danny Green, because I give Doc Rivers credit um, when they knew that Thibault was going to be out of the Toronto games because he wasn't completely vaccinated. He inserted Green into the starting lineup and brought 
Thibel off the bench, and it seemed to lift Danny Green, that he played really well in the two games in Philadelphia, almost like turning back the clock a couple of years, not quite as much the last couple of games. How does Doc split it up between Green and Thibel in Game 5 back in Philly? You know, I still think Danny, Danny Green's going to start. I don't think Doc wants to get into a spot where he's, you know, changing location and changing starters. But I think the key is that, you know, Danny Green, rather than playing 25, 30 minutes, is going to play 20 or 25, depending on how he's, he's you know, looking throughout the course of the game. George Niang, rather than playing 25 or whatever he played up in Toronto, can play 15. I think that's really where Matisse Seibel – and look, they could use Matisse Seibel – if Fred Van Vliet is able to play, they could certainly use him on him defensively. They could use him on Gary Trent Jr., uh, who has really been maybe the one consistent shooter uh, that Toronto has had over the course of the series. They could use uh, Thibel on both of them. But really what they need is someone to limit the minutes of Danny Green and George Niang. And I think that's going to be real key for them because I do think both of those veterans who are, um, in Danny Green's case, you know, a little older in the tooth, in George Niang's case, just there's a diminishing returns the more minutes he plays – they can use fewer minutes. Uh, so I think getting five will be back uh, big for game five. Derek Bodner from the Daily Six Newsletter, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio, talking Raptors and Sixers game five back in Philly tomorrow night. You did mention a less aggressive Tyrese Maxey, at least in yesterday's game for sure. Uh, but even, I would say, both games in Toronto, he opens up the series with his 38-point performance, second highest in the playoffs so far this year by any player in 38 minutes. And then 23 game two, 19 game three, only 11 points yesterday. It has been diminishing returns on him, on his teammates, on his coach, or did he just set the bar ridiculously high with that game one performance? Yeah, I mean, he, he set the bar high, but we've seen him, uh, you know, reach that bar a number of times over the course of the regular season. It's, uh, it's a little bit strange. I did think that the Sixers went to James Harden a little bit more than they should have, especially after the first quarter. He seemed like he started to lose his legs a little bit. I think they probably could have dialed up more plays for Maxie, uh, and I think they got out of their base offensive set pretty early there against the Raptors. And I think when that happens, you know, Matisse or um, Maxi can go a couple of possessions, a couple of minutes without really touching the ball, uh, especially when you're trying to feed you all in the post, when you're trying to run some of your offense through Harden. I think they need to design more plays to get him going um, because I think he, when he is going, and when you can get sort of like that two-man game with Harden and Maxi, and you can run some pick and rolls and get the matchups that you want, he is one of their more consistent half-court scorers, especially when you start talking about creating off-the-dribble in isolation. And I think they just ignored him far too much. And maybe he's not yet at the point in his career, especially when you're talking about playing with an MVP caliber play with Joel Embiid and a former MVP in James Harden. He's got to be a little more assertive in demanding the ball. Uh, and I think that's going to come with more experience and maturity. Uh, but right now they need him. Um, he might be, especially if Joel Embiid's not going to be what Joel Embiid has been because of the thumb, and James Harden right now doesn't look like the player that he was a couple of years ago. They need his half-court scoring. They need his ability to create off the dribble. Um, and they need him to be more assertive and aggressive in, in, in demanding it. I think he, he's absolutely got to be a 25-point game guy in this next game coming up because you're right. Embiid is questionable. Harden has done a nice job of running the show but he just doesn't seem to be the scorer that he used to be. So somebody's got to step up big for them on offense. We'll see if uh, Maxie is that guy. All right, want a question about uh, Nick Nurse, the Toronto coach. 
came into the series. I think this was his predisposition because, you know, you got uh, the pre-series quotes and the like. He did go to the, uh, it's so difficult to defend Joel Embiid because the referees give him every call pretty much before the series started. And he's uh, played that harp every single game since. Um, it was a little bit more effective here in game number four because I don't think they dropped their physicality. I think they played him the way they wanted to play him and just didn't get as many whistles going their way. Did you like his uh, philosophy before the series started? Do you think he finally got home trying to tell the referees you can't call a foul every time Embiid touches the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think referees are humans, and I think they will hear that and not consciously react to it. I don't think there's a grand conspiracy, but I think I think it can have some effect. And it's you know, the, quite frankly, the you know, I think the smart thing for Nick Nurse to do not only for the referees and maybe in influencing their future calls, but also just for his, his own team and, and them feeling like he's, you know, he's got their back. Uh, I don't think it's going to have a massive, you know, I think maybe the bigger thing, even than the calls that were, were not called on Joel Embiid, because Embiid still got the line like eight or nine times, James Harden 11. They still got the line a, a decent amount. I think the big change in, in game four was that Siakam got there 15 times and Toronto got yep. there as much as they did. Yeah, look, I think both, Coaches should be talking about the fouls just because it doesn't, outside of an occasional fine, it doesn't really hurt them to do so. Uh, it does, I think, ha can have a marginal impact. But I think as the series plays out, I, I expect the more physical team to get more calls. And quite frankly, I think the Raptors, maybe not the more physical team, but certainly the more aggressive team. And I think when you do that, you tend to get rewarded by the refs. If I were Doc Rivers, no matter what I would be saying externally about the refs, Internally, I would be talking uh, far more about they just didn't show up with the right kind of energy um, and aggressiveness, and I think that showed up on the uh, on the foul sheet as well. How does that play itself out here in game number five? Because, uh, and, and I'm sure the Sixers knew this prior to game four, uh, but they let that opportunity slip away. The shorter this series goes, the more time Embiid's thumb gets to rest. Will Doc be hammering that home? Will they play with the level of intensity needed to shut this thing out and give them five? I think they will. Um, you know, and I think it's just a situation where Toronto has been a tough place for Joel Embiid to win throughout the course of his career, both in the playoffs and the regular season. They obviously did pick up that important game three win, but I don't think you want to go back up to Toronto for game six, knowing that if you drop that game, you would be staring history right in its face. Obviously, NBA teams have never lost, went up 3-0 in the series. They're 143-0. So I don't think you want to go up there to Toronto, knowing that, like I said, if you drop that game, you could be staring history in its face. So I think they're going to come out there with the right sense of urgency and intensity. I do think game four... A lot of times you see that where the team up 3-0 just doesn't have the same sense of urgency that got to that point. Drop a game, you have a gentleman sweep. I think they will come out with the right focus to prevent this from going to six in Toronto. But, you know, Embiid's injury sort of casts a shadow over a lot of it, uh, casts some doubt over what you would expect their game plan and their effectiveness to be. So I think that's a wild card. But I think effort-wise it will be a much better showing than game four for sure. All right, I know you don't write this way, but I'm going to ask you to talk this way for me. Put your Sixer colors glasses on and uh, drop the objectivity for a second. Assuming the Sixers win this next game and take it in five, 
What have you seen from the rest of the Eastern Conference? We know uh, Miami goes for a 3-1 lead tonight. Boston is already up 3-zip and uh, is uh, only one game away from taking out the Nets. The Bucks got a good win today. The next round matchup would be Miami, and then you'd have to take on either a Buck or Nets squad if they get through their series. Has anyone else in the Eastern Conference uh, played to the level of well, okay, yeah, the Sixers could win this round, but uh, that that's about it because those who are left in their way are just too good for them. Or has this been a balanced, competitive Eastern Conference playoff so far that you see the Sixers playing with anybody? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think Miami, um, Milwaukee, and Boston are all very tough matchups for the Sixers for different reasons. Milwaukee, I think, has been the most up and down. You know, at, some, at their high points, they can look very good, and at their mediocre points, they can look – pretty mediocre, uh, more so than you expect a team of that stature that has won that many games and won a championship to do so. They're just, they seem very up and down lately, not only in the playoffs, uh, but throughout the second half of the season as well. Boston has been the most consistent team, and that defense is, if you're a Sixers fan, I think pretty terrifying. I think that defense matches up really well with what the Sixers would be trying to do. Uh, and I think that would be a tough matchup for the Sixers. And Miami's, I think, a little tough to judge just because Atlanta has maybe the worst defensive backcourt I've ever seen, so I expect Jimmy Butler at all to have pretty good success against them. I'm not sure we can really rate them too much based on what they do here, but certainly they have a defense, uh, especially with a player like Bam, um, who can not only defend and beat, but also switch on the Harden if they need to. I think that would be a tough matchup. Well, honestly, I think all three of those, tough, those matchups would be tough for the Sixers, especially with Joel Embiid's injury. I'm not sure I'd make them the favorites over any of them, but I think Boston certainly has been the most consistent and the most consistently impressive team of those three here in the uh, first round. And the reason why the Celtics, Celtics might be the best team overall, but the reason why they're the worst matchup for the Sixers is they can throw so many different looks at Embiid. They can put Horford on him, who's done a really good job when he's not been his teammate of uh, making Embiid's life more difficult. You throw dice on him for a couple minutes just to play physical defense and bump and grind with him. And then you go Robert Williams, who's a little undersized, but is one of the best defensive bigs in the NBA. Yeah, that's that's it's not only good match, it's it's uh, derivation matchups. So they've got different guys that they could throw at Embiid. I think the Celtics is the team the Sixers should want to avoid the most. No, I agree. And then they have all kinds of, you know, six, seven, six, eight wings who are real good at digging down in the post, real good at switching, real good at recovering. They're just, they're one of the most fundamentally sound defenses that really have no points that you can attack consistently. And especially when you start talking about not only defending Joel Embiid, but how James Harden is going to have success against that team. Uh, I think they would have a lot of success defending the Sixers. And uh, yeah, they, I think they would be the team I'd want to avoid most if I was the, uh, if I was a Sixers fan. And I know you've heard this by now. Um, maybe not everybody else has. Uh, the Nets are not going to have Ben Simmons for game four. He was ruled out today. Man, I thought that was the turning point. If they got Ben at the what, – what, what if, if he does come back at any point in the series, and it won't be in game four if the Nets find a way to fend off the Celtics and get it to a game five, what can Simmons bring to the table when he hasn't played an NBA game in a year? Yeah, I mean, I think at that point – you know that you just don't have the defensive firepower to compete in the playoffs. And it's probably too late to really realize that and change that. The trajectory of the team right now, um, I, I think either I, obviously I don't expect them to come back down, you know, down in 3 to win regardless of what they do. So I almost wonder if it's just a reward for the 
hard work, but then he doesn't seem like he's super enthused about playing right now anyway. It, I don't understand the rationale behind it, if I'm being honest. Like, if they were closer to being competitive, if it was 2-1 to one or, um, you know, maybe after this game it was 2-2, two, two, then maybe I could see myself talking myself into it. But uh, you're not going to make a run in the playoffs. So there's really no I, – I don't know. I don't entirely know what's going on up there. Uh, I am sort of just happy it's not my, uh, my beat to cover anymore, if I'm being honest. Sixer fans, follow him at Derek Bodner NBA. And that's where you get the information to subscribe for his Daily Six newsletter. DB, always learn something when I have you on talking Sixer basketball. Thanks for adding the info again tonight. Yep, thank you. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.